That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Bunny? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome to the show to be named later, where we're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Chris Giotto. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I'm doing well. Not really much has happened in the last week, but there are 121 days till opening day. Yes, uh, that is true. Um, and uh, it seems, I don't know if any you know signings are going to happen in these 121 days uh, at this pace no, not not really, but some, uh, just some minor signings. Oh yeah, just a yeah, just a minor signing, like a, a, a you know, a minor you know, left-handed pitcher that didn't have a great had a, last had a year. Extreme uh, had an extreme decrease in fastball velocity last year. Yeah, it is nothing big. Yeah, not a big deal, not a major deal, but you know, a, a minor deal. Um, but yeah, that's. That's all we've been. That's all we've been seeing. I, there was one pretty good deal that mm-hmm. that has happened. Um, the Braves do like to sneak in a a good deal, like before uh, yeah. Thanksgiving happens. They always have the first free agent signing, or at yeah, least well, Whether it be like they they got Will Smith. Will Smith was like the first. Uh, was like the first big deal last year. The lefty pitcher, not the uh, not the catcher. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Will Smith, and then they were pretty early on Donaldson too, right? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, it's it's hard that, to remember. That feels like like a December thing. I feel like. Yeah, but like, yeah, last year with Will Smith, and then this. But also, year, the the Donaldson offseason was when free agency moved at snail's pace. Like that was when Bryce Harper literally signed. I think it was March first. Yeah, so if it was a December deal, they were probably one of the first yeah. teams to get a deal done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Braves this year uh, sneaking in a Charlie Morton signing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go a guy, along with the Drew Smiley signing. And a, yeah, and a uh, Drew Smiley signing. Um, and uh, yeah, Charlie Morton, you know, not the, didn't have a big sample size uh, this past year. So, but, you know, historically speaking, since about 2017, has has been one of the better pitchers in in all of baseball. So, very very good move by the Braves, and you know, especially after they had injuries last year, and um, they added in a new they added in a new guy from the minor leagues this year. They look a lot deeper than they did, you know, in like early like early August of 2020, they looked, you know, yeah. the rotation depth looked very bad. Now I mean, it yeah. looks like a top five rotation in baseball. Just two months ago, we were talking about if they were going to have enough starters to make it through game three of a series. And now we're talking about one of the best five-man rotations in baseball. Yeah. Which exactly. to be fair, you know, they are getting Mike Soroka back. And if, if they had Mike Soroka before – we're probably not asking those depth questions, but um, yeah, I mean, Charlie Morton, you know, he did have a bit of a down year in 2020 statistics would show uh, a lot of people have been taking the 2020 season with a grain of salt, understandably. So there things were a lot different last year and also it was a smaller sample size. So 
Um, I mean, I think the Braves are relying on Charlie Morton to be more like his 2017 to 2019 self, and they should be. I mean, he is, you know, he is what is this going to be like his 30, like eight season or something like that? 39. Um, he is uh, 37 now, so it's going to be oh. his age 37 season. Oh, that's not that bad. Okay. Yeah, he turned uh, 37 I mean, on in November. Okay, but he's still got something in the tank then. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. the Braves are in win now mode. I mean, we're looking at a five man rotation with Mike Soroka, Charlie Morton. Ian Anderson, uh, Max Freed. How can I forget him? He's probably up in that rotation. And then I guess Drew Smiley would be the five, but then you also have Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson for depth. You also have Tuki Toussaint, who's looking to develop more. I guess the Braves' only weakness at this point is bullpen, and I guess maybe some lineup depth if they don't bring back Ozuna. But, um, yeah, I mean, that is certainly a question that will be answered later. But this is a good move by the Braves. You know, they are in win-now mode. And this is a win now move. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's important to get you know the the starting rotation figured out because like bullpen is weird because like you can you know quote unquote stack your bullpen and it can fall apart pretty easily because you know you never really can rely on bullpen performance. So it's nice that they're getting a good uh, starter. Last year they tried it tried it out with Cole Hamels, but he made one start all season but mm-hmm. this this time is charlie morton and it should be it should look like a better version of what they were expecting out of uh, out of cole hamels this year as long as he can stay healthy this is a guy that will be able to you know get some innings in for you uh you're not going to get too many strikeout numbers but you're going to get ground balls uh on heavy and they have a pretty defensively sound uh infield so that doesn't sound too bad for them yeah yeah exactly um I'm trying to see if there's a good stat on um, on Morton, but mm-hmm. hard to tell. Uh, but anyway, yeah, he, Morton, yeah, he's a guy finished third in the Cy Young vote in um, 20, uh, 2019. It should be it's a it's a good move. What do they get him for? What fifteen million dollars? One year, fifteen mil. Yeah you know very very low risk mm-hmm. um you gotta you, you you gotta love it if you're a if you're a Braves fan yeah I mean I was I thought like a team like the White Sox were gonna go out and get him like that's a team that could use some rotation depth uh the Braves could too certainly but um I mean I think this is a good signing for Atlanta I mean I think Alex Antopoulos knows what he's doing here and um at one point would you consider this team a World Series favorite because the Dodgers are you know they're losing what I mean, they're losing Justin Turner, but probably not. They're probably going to get him back. They're losing uh, a bunch of guys. Uh, not not too many big names, but, like, some depth guys. Uh, and the Braves are obviously getting stronger. They're bringing back Soroka. They have Morton now. The only question mark is Ozuna and the bullpen. But um, the Braves are a very real World Series contender right now. Yeah, and, I mean, they definitely were uh, before – before all this, you know, they, they definitely proved themselves. This was a big, big proof uh, proving point year being mm-hmm. able to win in the playoffs this year. Now they're, you know, trying to make this next step and make it to the world series and potentially win it. And, you know, it's also what should be considered is it's a very good move in terms of getting a guy with postseason experience in uh, a guy who's been in a game, game seven of the world series situation, a guy who's, amazing in winner take all games 
uh, you know, we forget to mention that it's, it's a huge deal because, you know, that's a guy who you're, you know, very comfortable with on a big stage rather than, you know, Soroka, Freed and Anderson, very good. Anderson definitely showed that he was very good in the playoffs, but, you know, very young guys, not as much experience. So it's Ian nice Anderson to get one a bit of a walk issue too, that he needs to work on a little bit. Yeah. That's it's nice to get thing. one guy, one guy with like a lot of playoff experience under his belt. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. Does that wrap it up? Does that wrap your, up your thoughts on that? Um, pretty much. I mean, it's point blank, just a very good signing. Uh, yeah. It's good on the Braves that they were able to, that they were able to get on it quicker than everybody else and uh, figure out a deal with Morton before anyone else. Cause that's a very valuable pickup one year, $15 million. It's not going to damage you at all. Let me ask you this. Do you think their priorities now shift to re-signing Ozuna, bringing back a power bat or signing Freddie Freeman to an extension? Um, that's a good question. I think it might be, it might be extending Freeman. I think it is um, too. Because yeah, I mean, not only is he, not only did he just win MVP and is, you know, has been consistently one of the best first basemen in baseball, but <clears throat> he's been a Braves guy. He's been with the organization since he's been with the organization. If the uh, up arrow will work here on my computer, he's been in the Braves organization since 2007. So that's, you know, 13 years with the organization. He's a guy ingrained in Braves baseball. So I think they want to get that deal done. Yeah. Um, a lot because of that. Ozuna. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they'll, if, if they didn't re-sign Donaldson, I understand them not signing uh, Ozuna, you know, a guy. Yeah, well, who- I mean, Donaldson and Ozuna were in very different like stages of their career. Like Ozuna, you could argue is just entering his prime. Now Donaldson, we're not going to see anything better than what we saw from him between 26, 2015 and 2017. Yeah, that is true, but I'm not, I'm not sure if they're going to bring to the table what mm-hmm. Ozuna wants, which is probably going to be a lot deservedly. So he's going to ask um, for a multi-year. Yeah, I think they're, yeah, exactly. And I think they're going to be much more comfortable walking away from Ozuna than they are potentially Freeman. If, if that's yeah. the ultimatum they have to make. And even without Ozuna, like that's still a very good offensive team. Ozuna doesn't really add much value to the team beyond his offense. Uh, as far as an on-field standpoint, you know, his defense has kind of been um, regressing a lot through the years. His base running has never been great. Uh, and he is, he's a great bat. And I'm not, I'm not going to ever deny that. And I think there is a team out there that will really benefit from that. There are a lot of teams out there that would benefit the Braves included, but I mean, I think losing Freeman would hurt a lot more than losing Ozuna. And then it sounds like the Braves can really only pick between one of the two. Yeah. Cause those guys are going to be getting paid pretty similarly, at least on an average annual value mm-hmm. uh, basis, maybe, and probably, probably ultimately Freeman a little more because Definitely of Freeman more Freeman's a yeah. better all around player. I mean, yeah, he's exactly. Uh, He's, there's, he's literally good at everything. Like he can hit for average. He can hit for power. He can play defense. He's reasonably quick for a first baseman. He's got a good baseball IQ. He's a fun personality guy. Like there's literally everything is good about Freddie Freeman. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'll be okay with, uh, with letting Ozuna go. They signed him 
for one year originally, probably for a reason. Maybe it was more you of a decision. You had some in St. Louis beforehand. Uh, yeah. Like, maybe it was more, I don't know, Zuna's part that it ended up being one year, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the brave situation, um, making a very good move to start the off season. And I mean, yeah, I, like their next off season moves will probably be happening likely in, uh, in spring training when they, when they are able to talk to uh, Freddie Freeman about possibly an extension, because yeah. if you did not know, Freddie Freeman's contract, uh, is done after 2021. Um, and he just won MVP and he's only, uh, I think he's still only 30, which is surprising. To... Yeah. If you can get him to like, for like a six, six year deal, five year deal. Uh, I think that's within reasonable uh, attainability on both sides. Oh yeah. You know, you look at a uh, Paul Goldschmidt's deal, five years, $130 million. He's at a very similar age, very similar talent. So probably a, a similar deal will be happening. By the way, do you think the Phillies are the worst team in the NL East? Um, think about that for a second, because every team has a reasonable case to be better than the Phillies. And that is probably the most expensive team in the division. I think, um, I, that's, that's a tough question. It's, it's weird to think that we're on this topic of the NL East. I saw someone ask it, I think on MLB network last week. And I was like, wait a minute. Like, that's a very actual, like real question. Um, it's possible. I would, I think they're, it might be a case with um the nationals too and even still with the marlins yeah it like yeah because uh phillies nationals and marlins i i see as very even teams and none of them are like that bad of a team Mm -hmm. but it's just how the division lines up yeah and the braves are obviously the braves the mets are supposed to be a lot better now and i believe they will be um but yeah i mean the phillies are the most expensive team in the division they could probably be the worst one yeah uh yeah exactly that's that's Reece, like... uh, did you see the reese hoskins got hurt and is going to be out for like so like i think the beginning of next year oh no how how long or what what happened i believe i'm pretty sure i saw this um yeah reese hoskins is uh one of their big bats one of the reasons that you know i thought I guess... they were going to be a playoff team Okay, uh, never mind. I guess you're gonna have to cut that out. I thought I could have sworn I saw something, but I guess not. Oh, all right. Good news. Yeah. Good news out of Philly. Reese Hoskins not not hurt. Not but hurt. JT Realmuto, he's not hurt either. But there's a very real chance that he won't be back next year. Yeah, that's a yeah. There is a very real chance. That. Oh my god. <laughs> that was I'm awful. Off. That was terrible. But yeah. uh, right, ignore exactly. what I said about Hoskins. I hope I hope he's not hurt and i hope he doesn't get hurt yeah but yeah if yeah if there's no real muto that's going to be a that's going to be a, a bad look because it's like we've talked we've talked about the phillies before like they're hold on, hold on. Uh, so i googled reese hoskins to go to google news to see the first like the first question on uh people ask is uh is reese hoskins good <laughs> that's hilarious it's <laughs> a great question to ask google um, I mean, if we're being honest, he didn't have a great second half, uh, in 2019 and he wasn't very good this year either. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Uh, yeah, the Phillies, we've talked about them. They're like, they're very 
a, a very top heavy roster. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would have put, you know, a couple years ago, you would have put uh, Hoskins at the top. Or Hoskins had a decent year last he year. Did. He did. He did have a decent year this year. He had an 887 OPS. Yeah. But he also had like a strong, like three weeks. Like, I think a lot of it was like very streaky. Yeah, very streaky. But yeah, it's very, it's a very top heavy um, roster. You got Nola, Nola and Wheeler, who are top, who were top 10 pitchers in the NL, each of them top 10 pitchers in the NL this year. Bryce Harper had a very good season, you know, OPS above 950. Got Hoskins in there. Alec Bohm was a rookie of the year finalist. But then every everywhere else in the roster, unless I'm forgetting, uh, Real Muto, you know, was the best catcher in baseball. Every everyone else on that roster, it just does not complimentary at all. It's yeah. very odd. Yeah. Reese Hoskins had like a high six OPS in like mid August, and he ended with an 887. So we obviously it was very streaky. Yeah, like I kind of suspected. Yeah, and he only played uh, about two thirds of the games. Um, mm-hmm. 41 games and yeah their bullpen was uh the worst in baseball yep for... it, was, it wasn't even close by far uh, other than like the mariners maybe that's like the only other team that you can make a case for i guess yeah i guess in like yeah because the reds figured it out their yeah bullpen. so anyway charlie morton yeah well this is what we this is what we have to do on an off-season show yeah just go on tangents you, you, you gotta because also one of yeah my favorite division. Also, I just apparently know nothing about NL Reese Hoskins. Yeah, the the NL East is a is a fun division to talk about, but I guess we can move on to the AL Central, uh, where you know we alluded to this earlier a minor deal, Mike Miner, to the Kansas City Royals. Um, he uh, yeah Mike Miner, it's a two year deal. Uh, I don't know what do you know the valuation on it. Uh, I believe it was a multi-year deal. Couldn't tell you the value right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mike Mike Miner had, you know, a polar opposite 2019 to 2020. He was, uh, you know, a top five pitcher in the AL uh, in 2019. And then uh, one of the worst pitchers in in baseball in, uh, in 2020. So... I don't know. The Royals seems yeah, okay. To... I don't have I don't have any monetary value, but it says the contract is two years on MLB trade rumors. Yeah, so it must not be uh, a very big deal then. Just a minor deal. Just a yeah, yeah. Nothing too crazy. Just mm-hmm. a just a minor deal. And yeah, yeah. Mike Miner to the Royals. It's weird. It's you know, it's it's the Royals who are not in a co- competitive situation, and it's Mike Miner who's not a very impactful mm-hmm. pitcher as of now, but um, I mean, I don't know. It seems like, seems like, uh, I don't know. What, what are you thinking about it? Okay. So I have two like motives in mind for what the Royals are planning on here. Um, I don't think the Royals believe that they'll be very competitive in the next two years. I mean, I don't think there's much reason to believe that, but they are in a state right now where they, They've been in a rebuild and now they got to show some signs of what the future is going to look like. I'm not saying Mike Miner is going to be a part of that future, but you know, they have a very young pitching core with guys like Brady Singer, guys like Chris Bubich, uh, even Brad Keller is not that, not that old. 
Uh, and they're going to need some, you know, veteran presence in that clubhouse to really, you know, be a mentor to some of the guys. And that's where Mike Miner can come in. Um, I believe he's a, I did, he used to pitch for the Royals very briefly in 2017. He pitched 77 and two-thirds innings for them. Actually did pretty well. Uh, he had a 2.55 ERA. Oh, yeah, he was a reliever. He was. He was a reliever. Um, so one of my, one of my motives uh, as for why the Royals decided to do this was because uh, they need a guy like Mike Miner to, to have some veteran presence uh, in the clubhouse. And, I mean, based on his last year, you know, you probably didn't really see him going to a competitive team. I mean, like, did, I mean, what, what team that's competing could you see? Like, maybe Oakland getting him back, if anything. But, um, yeah, I didn't really see too much uh, there. Yeah, I, if anybody, it would have been Oakland. Mm-hmm. Oakland likes to make those deals, like, uh, or, or, or maybe even uh, the Twins, like, when they the got twins, yeah. Homer Bailey. I even think it that. was. Yeah, but um, one thing that, you know, obviously Mike Miner had a major decline in, uh, see what I did there? He had a major decline in 2020. Huh. And I think a lot of what people were looking at was his decrease in fastball velocity. It went down 1.9 miles an hour from where it was last year. That was actually the fourth uh, biggest decline in all of baseball over the previous year. And I get that. I mean, that certainly is, you know, a, a alarming from a guy who, you know, who just seemingly no reason for that to happen. Uh, I guess age just got to him. But if you look at his Savant page, his fastball spin rate is in the 97th percentile. So I don't think that you can solely blame his fastball velocity uh, decrease for his, you know, his uh, regression in 2020, because, you know, the fastball is still effective in some sort of way. Uh, Yeah. I mean, yeah. If it's, yeah, if it's in the 97th percentile, I mean, one thing, one guy too, I guess, compared to, I guess, the ultimate example of low fastball velocity, high fastball spin rate was Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer was in like the 20 something percentile and in fastball velocity, it's been going down over the past couple of years, but his spin rate was the best in the league seemed to work for him. Um, But yeah, I, it is interesting uh, that Mike Mike, Mike Miner had that uh, had that go for him. I'm trying to look yeah. at the previous years. I guess he's kind of been that that kind of guy, and I think that's mm-hmm. that must have been what helped him. Um, maybe that was a transformation that happened, like after after his injury that kept him out for those couple it of years. But um, one thing I forgot to mention, so I, ha- I mentioned I had two motives for the Royals. One of them was the giving, you know, their young pitchers a veteran in the clubhouse to mentor them. Uh, another one is that, you know, this is a low risk type of deal. I mean, they're obviously, I can't imagine this is any more than like $5 million of average annual value. So I think the Royals are going to maybe hang on to some hope, some hope that he can be closer to his 2019 self and then flip him at the deadline in one of these years uh, and get some value in return. Again, yeah, exactly. it might be, you know, when the, when the Tigers, when the Marlins signed uh, VR and Aguilar at, in 2020, you know, they obviously weren't anticipating that they would be competing, but they, it, they pretty much did that solely so they could flip them, which they did with VR. Uh, Aguilar ended up staying, but, you know, they flipped VR at the deadline to the Blue Jays and got some value in return for him. Uh, and that was kind of why they signed him to begin with, I believe. Yeah, the yeah, these are the kind of things that happen and yeah, obviously like 
yeah, no, not a lot of competitive teams were out there for him. So it's like, you know, get him for cheap. Exactly. Flip him, you know, cause he, it was a big deal in 2019 wondering if, if a uh, minor would get traded at the deadline during that season didn't end up happening, but he was very valuable on the market. Maybe that can, that value can be, uh, that can be replicated again in 2021 or 2022 uh, for, you know, a rental that yeah that seems like those two reasons yeah that's those are probably the two reasons that uh they went with with mike minor i mean it's hard to gauge where where the royals will be going they don't seem to have the deepest of farm systems yet although they you know bobby witt jr was their number two pick overall um yeah. back in uh 2019 so you know more and he's more probably guys, gonna be he's probably gonna be coming up next year yeah, that's true. He was drafted out of college or yeah, high school? No, out of high school. Still, yeah, he'll be 20 or, mm-hmm. or 21 or something like that. So yeah, and that, uh, he played, like, remember when, um, like, before the season started when a couple teams did, like, exhibition games, like, between each other? Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. played in a bunch of those. So, mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, he's definitely not coming up right away because he's, you know, he hasn't played a minor league game in a year and a half. Uh, I could see him being like a like a mid-season to late-season call-up next year. Yeah, it could work unless the Royals plan on um, plan on saving him for and get him under 172 uh, days of service for like 2022. Yeah. Unless they do that, then yeah, uh, it would make sense that he would come up. I mean, you know what? I would say September calls, but uh, expanded rosters aren't a thing anymore. So if there's a case against him, it would be that. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, Mike Miner to the Royals, not a a major deal, but, uh, you know, there's always potential. We we saw it in 2019. There is always potential. So uh, the last uh, free agent sort of news that is happening and I guess it's more rumors than anything. Nothing has been, nothing has transpired. But uh, you uh, messaged me saying that George Springer has a particular interest in Toronto. Do you want to get into that? Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the quote here on Twitter. Uh, the score reported seven hours ago. Uh, George Springer is giving serious thought to playing for the Blue Jays. Um, I think it's, I mean, I think it makes sense that he's going to be leaving the Astros. I really don't think any of those free agents are going to stay uh, for the obvious reason of this. They just don't want to be a part of that organization. They don't want to, you know, have that attached to them. I mean, obviously if Springer goes somewhere that's going to be attached to him, but if he stays with Houston, it's going to, you know, it's going to look like he still wants to be a part of the organization that has a bad rep. And I mean, he's given everything he could to that organization. He won a world series. He was the world series MVP. And overall, he's just been a great piece for them. Uh, I think it is time for him to move on. And it seems like that's what he's going to be doing. Toronto would be, I mean, that would be a really good move on both sides because that's a favorable ballpark for him. I mean, the dimensions aren't too crazy. Uh, It's not really hitter or pitcher friendly. It's sort of neutral, if anything, leaning hitter friendly. But, um, you know, that's a, that's a place where they don't really have, you know, they are, they are looking for depth uh, where they can find it because a lot of their, big name players are uh, infielders. So that would make their outfield Lourdes Gurriel Jr., George Springer, and Teoscar Hernandez. Uh, Hernandez, who had a big season last year, that'd be very deep. 
uh, for them. And that would give them one of the better lineups uh, in the American League because that's a guy you can plug in at the leadoff spot who can then make way for, you know, Bo Bichette, Vlad Jr. if he can develop, Kevin Biggio, T- Hernandez, like I mentioned earlier, Rowdy Telez even. Uh, and I mean, you know, to go along with the pitching staff with, you know, Ryu, uh, they just re-signed Robbie Ray, you know, guys like that. And anyone they, they can develop like Nate Pearson, I mean, that makes them a much deeper team and that puts them in a much better situation going forward. Yeah, I it does make more sense that he would be interested in, in Toronto because he is going to be signing a multi-year deal, probably a four or five-year deal. Yeah. Um, so, you know, might as well, you know, get paid well investing in a future that they have going on in Toronto. You know, they were an above 500 team last year. They made the playoffs, you know, even though it was expanded, they, you know, they made the playoffs. And yeah, there's a lot of young talent. I mean, you're looking at the baseball reference uh, lineup, how they have it set up here. Everyone in the starting lineup outside of Travis Shaw was under 30. Everyone, everyone was under 30. The problem is Springer is going to be 31. Yeah, but Springer, you know, he'll be, I understand it from Springer's perspective because he's joining a team that will probably be competing uh, for divisions and things of that nature for the next few years. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it starts this year. But mm-hmm. yeah, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, the big three, you know, Lourdes Guriel Jr., Teoscar Hernandez. Rowdy Tillet, those are guys that are going to be producing for for that offense for the next few years. It's a, pretty much a guarantee. So um, it's a, it would be a good move on Springer's part if he wants to consistently be in the playoffs or in the playoff hunt. It totally makes sense for him to be really invested in uh, – in Toronto. Yeah. Um, how many years was reused deal? Was that four? Uh, yeah. Four years, 80 million. Okay. Yeah. I figured it was something like that. So that would give them three years with both of those guys, assuming the deal is for that long, which it probably will be. Yeah. Based on what we've seen last year, but I guess reuse a little more injury. I mean, this is a guy who's been one of the premier bats every year. I mean, that he's been in the league, his worst, uh, single season OPS plus is 114. Uh, and that was, I mean, that was a year where he got hurt, I believe, uh, for some, for a couple weeks or so, uh, in 2018. And he had a 140 last year, you know, this is, you know, this is the guy that performed really well on the, on the Astros without trash cans. He had a close to 900 OPS last year. So, you know, you don't, I don't think you're going to have to worry about the, like, you know, is he going to be able to adjust to not knowing what pitch is coming? Because he obviously proved that he, you know, can function without it uh, this year. He was actually the wins above replacement leader for the Astros. And he's a great defensive center fielder as well. He's pretty much a great all-around player, like I mentioned earlier with, um, what did I mention that with earlier? Oh, with Freeman, that's who. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, this would be a good, I think this would be a good signing for Toronto. The only thing that worries me is the age and like, you know, the back end of that deal, what's that, what that's going to look like and where the Blue Jays are going to be at that point, because, you know, obviously the Blue Jays are up and coming, but they do have two teams in their division that are clearly better than them that are probably going, that are probably not going away anytime soon. So, you know, in three years, if Springer's 34 and he's showing signs of declining, you know, 
I, is that contract going to look bad when the Yankees and Rays, if they're still on top of the division, the Blue Jays are still trying to fight their way up there? Um, wait, what was that? What was that last part? You know, if the Blue Jays are still trying to fight their way up the division with the Rays and Yankees, and then possibly the Red Sox, if they could be competitive, but let's assume they won't uh, because of just current, you know, where things stand currently, you know, is George Springer's contract going to look bad if he begins to decline at age 34 and the Blue Jays are still fighting their way up the division? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, probably. I mean, the also mm-hmm. the Blue Jays aren't known for going with, you know, long-term contracts with older guys. You know, they they let uh, Encarnacion go to free agency. I, I don't know how long they had Jose Batista. They had him for, I mean, he, he was kind of a journeyman before he came to Toronto. Yeah, he, he was there till his mid-30s, but he had a special, you know, connection with the yeah. team. But yeah. Um, he spent 10 years there, so they probably did. He probably was, like he probably did get a long-term deal at some point. Yeah. And, of and I course, mean, he like, kind of performed up to the end of it too, except for like the last year he was there. Yeah. And it, it's hard to gauge, you know, we, we've talked about it. It's hard to gauge how much money teams will be spending, but in a normal year, Springer's probably getting maybe somewhere between 20 to 25 million a year. Um, so it could potentially backfire. Um, but I, I feel like with the guy of Springer's caliber and style of play, as long as the injury bug doesn't hit him, um, I think it should work out. But, you know, of course, you can always be be wrong about that. I think it might be it might be safer, uh, I guess would be the, the term you could say might be safer than the Ryu deal. You know, the Ryu mm-hmm. deal might end up being better, but um Springer's a, a pretty good investment. He's been pretty consistent his whole career up to this point. So, um, you know, and Toronto's not that small market of a team where they're like medium. Yeah, they're they're medium. They're in the middle. They're with like the like the Braves, Cardinals, like uh, tier. Braves, Cardinals, yeah. Mets before Cohen bought them. That kind of tier of of spending. But uh, yeah, any, anything else on uh, George Springer being particularly interested in uh, Toronto? I think the Blue Jays should go for it. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I mentioned what if they don't, you know, what if they're never able to surpass the, the Rays and Yankees? This is how you're going to do it. You know, you've got to get guys like this that are going to make your team better. Uh, some sort of veteran presence, guys who have been around the game and have experienced, you know, the postseason and pretty much been around everything. So I think they should go for it. Yeah, and uh, if there if there's a year um, to go after position players, you know, outside of Trevor Bauer, the starting pitching market, which is probably their weakest point uh, on the team, the starting pitching market outside of Bauer um, doesn't look great. So might as well invest in a position player like Springer this offseason. Yeah. Uh, if if that if they're if they're planning to spend this offseason. Um, so yeah. Uh, that's that's kind of the uh, the rumor mill going around with George Springer, uh, one of the more high profile position player free agents. So pretty big deal whenever a headline comes out about him and uh, what he is going to be doing. So 
now we're going to get into our uh, bubble case of the week mm-hmm. hall of fame bubble case of the week so pretty much every week up until the hall of fame election we're going to be examining a uh a, a uh, hall of fame candidate on the ballot that we consider to be you know on the bubble guys that are getting you know anywhere between anywhere between like five and 50 percent five and you know 60 percent guys that are probably going to be on the ballot uh continuously last last week we did uh bobby abreu um who i think is one of the more underrated uh on the ballot pretty overlooked on the ballot definitely and then uh this week we are t- we're going alphabetically. So Abreu was a uh, was an A. Today we're doing a B. We're doing a Mark Burley, uh, who uh, you may remember from the the classic Perfect Game. You know, being a 2005 World Series champion, um, a pretty eventful career for the guy. And we're we're going to examine if he's going to be a Hall of Famer. So he's not officially on the board yet in the tracker, but I know there have been a couple writers that have uh, announced that he will be getting their votes, but they haven't released their full ballots yet. So uh, I think the question with Burley this year is, does he stay on the ballot period? I don't know if he's ever going to get in, but I think he does deserve some consideration because I think it's between he and Tim Hudson as the best first year in this class, maybe Torrey Hunter, uh, but it's between those three. So I figured we'd look at Mark Burley this week. Yeah. Yeah, we should... A lot of it is giving consideration because we're going to be doing mm-hmm. some first years that might get left off the ballot. Heck, you know, Bobby Abreu might even. Bobby get Abreu is not getting in this year, and he's not getting in probably in the next like five years. But we're but going to Bobby, give him the consideration that he deserves. Bobby Abreu might not. You know, he might drop below five percent. Who knows? You know, I think it'll increase, but um, it might decrease ultimately. Who knows? But it, you know, we have to give these guys fair consideration. You know, you can't, can't just look at a name and, and think, you know, hall of famer or not hall of famer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Bobby Ray is definitely a name where you're like, no, that's not a hall of famer. But then you look at the numbers and it's like, Oh, like, there might be a case here. Yeah. Mark Burley's kind of in between. Uh, Cause like, I remember him for, for like, you know, the perfect game and not that much else but he put together a a you know a very consistent career that uh i don't think i really recognized up until uh up until this point i mean he was doing the same things at age 35 that he was doing at age 25 yeah that's uh that's very true so i guess the uh with mark burley we'll get into the on the surface the on the surface stats which is, you know, the, the basic numbers you see, you know, when, when you're making a Hall of Fame case, uh, 59.1 B-War, the average starting pitcher uh, B-War for a Hall of Famer is uh, 70, 73.0, but that's average, not baseline. So, like, um, you know, I, I guess a good example would be, like, Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax had... 53 B war if you took out the hitting and like 48 point something if you or 46 point something if you included the hitting uh in his career but it's not he had fair to include different... the hitting yeah exactly so he had a very different like 
career path. So you have to consider that, but, but, you know, Burley 59.1 B war, uh, Burley also six, 60.0 B war. If you take out the uh, bad inside of it, you know, he had negative 0.9 uh, B war whenever he hit. So um, I guess you, you, if you take that out of the equation, he has 60 B war just from his pitching alone. He also has 52.3 F war, uh, a 3.1, a, a 3.81 career ERA, a 4.11 career FIP, and a 117 career ERA plus in 3,283 and a third innings pitched. Also, uh, with the basic stats, 214 career wins, 1,870 career strikeouts, and his peak war was 35.8, which is 14.2 off the off the average Hall of Fame pitcher. 14.2 off. Um, and in the playoffs, you know, some 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 guys' career can you know make or break or some guys hall of fame case can be improved by the playoffs or, you know, discredited from the playoffs. Burley was kind of in the middle 4.11 career ERA in the playoffs and 30 and a two thirds innings pitched um, based off of, you know, on the surface, what, what do we kind of see here? I mean, we see a guy who kind of was behind his time in a way, not that that's a bad thing, but he was very, he was like a nineties pitcher placed after the nineties. Yeah. In terms of strikeout numbers and, and things of that nature, run prevention, innings, pitch strikeouts, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of with everything. And that's not a bad thing at all. Like that. I'm not, I'm not putting that against his case because he was still very effective in his own right. Uh, but he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't with the times. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the more known pitchers of his era were, you know, like Justin Verlander and, you know, got someone who's still pitching and like, uh, who else? Like CC Zabathia is the most like closest comparison I can think of. Yeah. And, but you know, guys that are more known for their yeah strikeouts, but Mark Burley was, you know, a very contact pitcher. And I don't, I never put that against uh, any pitcher because you know, as long as you get the guys out, uh, that's that's kind of what it is. So, and we know that strikeouts don't automatically dictate run prevention. Exactly, exactly. Um, so now we will compare him to guys with similar numbers to Mark Burley. There's about, uh, you know, ten to fifteen different guys you could uh, compare him to. So, uh, here here's the list of retired pitchers with a B war between. 58 and 62 uh, in the uh, in the live ball era pitchers with a B war between 58 and 62 in the live ball era so you know Mark Burley had a exactly 60 uh, if you took out the hitting so kind of a very good comparison so there's CC Sabathia uh, who is a likely Hall of Famer Juan Marichal who's a Hall of Famer uh, David Cohn who is a First ballot drop, although I do think David Cohn should be getting in a veterans committee at some point because he had a that wouldn't very, I would not be mad. Yeah, he had a very interesting career. He had like a 125 ERA plus in his career or something like that. I was looking at it earlier. 
pretty pretty odd that um, he just kind of got left off. But I guess a lot of it is he didn't he didn't amass even 200 career wins. But that's a different story for for a different day. Uh, then there's Don Drysdale, who is a Hall of Famer. Andy Pettit, who is a possible Hall of Famer, if not for PED use. Um, he hasn't he's on the ballot, but he's been getting like 10 to 15 percent. Uh, Jim Bunning, who g- was a Hall of Famer elected through the Veterans Committee, and I think he earned it. And then there's Hal Newhauser, who's a Hall of Famer. Uh, Brett Saberhagen, who was a first ballot drop. And How is that Bunning. a thing, by the way? Uh, Saberhagen. Saberhagen. He deserves better. I thought he I, he had two two times Cy Young winner, a 3-3-34 ERA, strikeout to walk ratio of 3.64. You're telling me that's a first ballot drop over 16 years, too? Yeah, it's... Uh, 126 so, ERA plus. It's weird. It's weird. That's That's bad. That's not okay. And then uh, the last guy between 58 and 62 B War in the live ball era was Chuck Finley, who was also a first ballot drop. And then then there's retired pitchers with an ERA plus between 115 and 120 in 3,000 to 3,500 innings pitched in the live ball era. Burley, of course, 117 ERA plus in uh, a little under 33 innings pitched uh there's dennis eckersley who's a hall of famer but his case is a bit different because he had almost 400 career saves he had a he had an interesting career path uh andy pettit uh tim hudson who is on the ballot who probably we're going to be going over um at some point uh billy pierce who is a fifth ballot drop dutch leonard who is a seventh ballot drop and uh Bucky Walters, who maxed out on ballots. I think he had, I think he was on the ballot 15 times. He never got dropped off, but uh, never got to that 75% mark. So is there anything, anything surprising or anything to, uh, anything eye-popping from the guys that kind of share his, uh, his statistics? Uh, I mean, I think Juan Marichal is like, you know, that's, that's usually, if you're a diehard baseball fan, that's a name that just comes to mind sort of quickly when you think best pitchers ever, right? Like he's, he's a no doubt hall of famer. And I mean, he's right there. Burley's right there with him. Also the fact that Saberhagen is a first ballot drop. I did not know that till now. I knew he wasn't a hall of famer. I did not realize he was a first ballot drop. Yeah. um, An interesting cast of characters um, with those comparisons. I think it uh, probably benefits uh, Burley a little bit uh, with the number of hall of famers versus uh versus non-Hall of Famers. <clears throat> yeah, Juan Marichal. Uh, yeah, he's one of the faces of that of that era, like late 60s, early 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those guys. He had a... Juan Marichal, yeah, he, he had an ERA below uh, three for his career. Pretty wild. But yeah, uh, I'll get into the case against uh, Mark Burley. Uh you know, saying probably agreeing with most of the writers as of this year. I I don't know how much how much of the vote he's going to be getting this year. I feel like he will stay on the ballot, maybe get around ten percent, but uh, I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, him not being on um 
him not being on anyone's ballots publicly so far is uh, is a bit alarming. But uh, the case against Mark Burley is, you know, what I put down, he, his, his career 3.81 ERA and 4.11 FIP, not traditionally Hall of Fame worthy. And, you know, he did play in a more offensive era and his ERA plus was, you know, 117 and, you know, a 117 ERA plus that's better than, you know, Steve Carlton. That's better than Fergie Jenkins. It's better than Don Sutton and uh, also Nolan Ryan. But uh, what I will say is Burley did not amass the workload of those hall of famers. Those guys were tossing 4,500 plus innings pitched and doing it over uh, 20 plus seasons Burley pitched, I think, in 16 seasons, he got, you know, about around 3,300 innings pitched. And I know he was expected of, expected differently, uh, and starting pitchers were kind of looked at differently in his era. But um, that's, that's where he kind of stands. And uh, him pitching in, an, in a more offensive era made it easier to ben- benefit off of ERA plus. So you can have a 381 ERA and uh but also have a 117 ERA plus be, still be 17% above uh average which you know I guess it works both both ways uh sort of that way. Uh Burley was also in the Cy Young vote only once and uh he finished fifth in fifth place. That was in 2005. So only one time in your career. I guess that's some something to put against. And, you know, a lot of those guys, a lot of those BBWAA writers are uh, guys that also vote in the Hall of Fame. So it would make sense if there was, uh, you know, a bit of translation. Also, Mark, Mark Burley, it kind of makes sense that he was only in the signing vote once because he finished top five in, in his league in ERA only twice and top 10 in ERA only four times. Um also, he finished top five in B-War only twice in his career. And he finished, you know, if if you think B-War is an inferior statistic, he finished top five in F-War only once. Um, so, you know, Mark Burley, he kind of had a consistent, very consistent career. He never was, you know, the, the case against him is that he never was that um that kind of you know dominant guy who was consistently in the scion conversation um he was just kind of he was always you know pretty good always always you know in the top 15 in his league but um was never quite dominant but his workload there's a good case to be made for him because of all that workload and his ability to be you know, pretty good for a very long time. So I'm going to make the case for Mark Burley here. Uh, you know, I mentioned that he was sort of a 90s style of a pitcher, you know, in the early 2000s to mid 2010s. And uh, what that means is that he's he's an innings guy and he did that better than anyone else when he played. He has more 200 inning seasons than anyone else since 1993. That would be seven years before he debuted. And he was, and he had 14 of them. He also had another season of 198 and two-thirds innings pitched in one season. So really, if it wasn't for that, he would have 15. And I could probably push the stat back a little more. 
But um, regardless, since 1993, no one has thrown 200 innings more than Mark Burley has. And since, 99, since 1999, only CC Sabathia, the guy I mentioned earlier as being the most comparable to him, has pitched more innings than him. And, uh, you know, like Chris mentioned, he was a World Series champion. He helped lead the White Sox to the World Series victory in 2005. You know, a World Series winning team where he was the best pitcher in the, you know, in the Cy Young conversations, finished, I believe, fifth that year, like you mentioned. And uh, here's, a, here's my big stat that I got. Since 1990, there have been nine pitchers with at least eight seasons of 200 innings pitched and a 120 ERA plus. And those pitchers are Justin Verlander, Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Mike Mussina, Tom Glavin, Roy Halladay, Kurt Schilling, and Mark Burley. Chris, all those names mentioned before Mark Burley, those are no doubt Hall of Famers. I know not all of them in, are in the Hall of Fame, but on paper, you look at them, you say, yeah, that's a Hall of Famer. Like, next question. And Mark Burley's right there along with him. And that's, you know, and that goes for longevity because that's eight seasons. You know, that's a lot. That's a long time to be putting up, you know, numbers like that. And, you know, I get what you're saying with the offensive era, but, you know, all the no one's questioning Greg Maddox is ERA plus because of the offensive era. Same with, you know, Roy Halladay, Kurt Schilling, Mike Mussina, all, all those guys. And uh, you know what, Mark Burley, he had his Hall of Fame moments. He had the perfect game. He had the no-hitter. He had the big playoff performances. And uh, he also had the greatest defensive play that has ever been made by a pitcher. Uh, Chris, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. It's the one where the ball kicks off his leg and he throws it through his legs at the first baseman. And uh, as a bit of a transition here, he has four gold gloves, uh, proving to be one of the best fielding pitchers of all times, of all time. So that yeah. is my case for Mark Burley. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a solid case both ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, sixty a guy with sixty B WAR definitely should be getting that uh, consideration. Mm-hmm. Definitely should be looking at you know the specifics of his career. So not really. I, I understand. I definitely understand uh, both sides of it. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a uh, Mark Burley. For and against, we broke it down for you here at the show to be named later. We gave, we gave all the all the comparisons you need right here. Um, so you're you're welcome. So now, uh, we we move on to the uh, baseball reference front page, which I believe I have yet to see uh in this in this hour or yeah okay. in this hour. Um, oh, there's a guy on the Hall of Fame ballot that's on here. There's a lot of interesting names. Kevin Tappany is on it, but I'll save him because. We're going to be go over, going, going over him on Thursday when we discuss the 1991 Minnesota Twins. Oh, so nice. So we'll leave him for a different day. Um, we have Joe Nathan. Remember him? He was one of the best closers of, uh, of like the early 2000s. Robinson Cano, who's uh, been in the news. And uh, also Billy Wagner, who was on the Hall of Fame ballot. I'll let you pick between Nathan, Cano, and Wagner. Um, I mean, I feel like like Cano, it's it's uh it's very interesting because um it's like this is this would be a no doubt Hall of Famer without mm-hmm. without his uh PED history and also we have a Hall of Famer in Cap Anson too. Yeah, Cap Anson, <laughs> not a great guy. Um, no, definitely not a great guy at all. Yeah, I mean like Robinson Cano. He was a uh, Cap Anson was the thirty eighth player in MLB history. Wow. Yeah, he uh, 
Yeah, he was one of the OGs. Mm-hmm. He played for 27 years. He played from ages 19 to 45. Yeah, and he didn't – I don't think he amassed like 10,000 play appearances because the seasons were like – No, he did. Games. He did. 11,331. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he did play for 27 years. But, yeah, mm-hmm. like the the seasons were like up until – I'm looking at his page now. Yeah. Up until 1884, the seasons were not more than 100 games. Yeah, exactly. And he still got 3,000 hits. Yeah. <laughs> Surprised he was. He was voted in by the Veterans Committee, so it's or uh, the the Old Timers Committee, which kind of makes sense because, like you mentioned last week with Jimmy Fox, uh, the Hall of Fame ballot featured the first 60 years of baseball history. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's a no doubt Hall of Famer. 94 wins above replacement. Yeah, for sure. Um, but also a, uh, <laughs> he's, he's one of the guys that are, are mentioned with like character clause. Like, yeah. Yeah. He, well, to be fair, his, his actions were, I'm not saying they were right, but they were more acceptable, you know? At yeah. That time. yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, if someone did what Pat Anson was doing today. No, that's not allowed. That's a no go. Yeah. He had opinions that were shared by, many at his time especially like i guess it would make more sense in the midwest where he was mm-hmm. um but yeah like pe- pe- like the argument for like kurt Schill- schilling getting in is like look at cap anson and yeah. what what he said kurt schilling, kurt schilling was a saint compared to cap anson or is yeah. a saint he's still alive yeah and i, I know you can't really compare eras but <laughs> a guy who's a little off the rails on twitter is kind of different <laughs> from uh from what cap anson was saying but yeah he he had a very interesting career yeah 30 3400 hits yeah a pretty wild ride for him uh he was like the original great baseball player no he really was because i mean he literally debuted the first year that it was played yeah and he started out with an 803 ops with a 128 ops plus and then the next season, he played 46 games and uh, had a 200 OPS plus. Yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah, he was uh, – he kind of – but I, I guess he didn't get enough uh, enough recognition to make the game popular before. No, really not. He uh, – yeah, I don't know. He would be that's – an, that's an interesting case. Who does uh who does baseball reference like recognize as the first player in MLB history? I've been trying to find it out, but like there's like multiple like Cap Anson said he was the 38th, but it also said Cherokee Fisher, who was on his team, was also the 38th. It might just be a 38 way tie. Yeah, possibly. If you if everyone if yeah, if you played in the first game in history and there were like yeah, I guess it was like a tie between whoever was whoever had the first out recorded and whoever had the first plate appearance. Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's hard to uh, for uh, yeah. for the 1871 uh, Rockford Forest Cities. Uh, the, on the team pitching page, there are only two people mentioned. Cherokee uh, <laughs> Fisher pitched 213 innings pitched, and then Denny Mack pitched 13 innings pitched. It's like a softball team. Yeah, literally. He 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 had a Cherokee Fisher was sick one day, and they were like, "Oh, Denny, you got to come in here." They haven't. They actually they have him listed as a relief pitcher, 
Oh, that's so, interesting. When he could only go eight and two thirds innings. They brought the other guy in. Yeah. Well, now I, now I, I got to look at this roster, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll let you keep going on Cano, though, because you were kind of talking about him. Yeah, Cano, yeah. He, like, it, it's, he's, he's like the latest case of um, guys who, you know, can't really get into the Hall of Fame because of PEDs. Like, there was A-Rod, it was A-Rod uh, before him, and then Cano became the, the newest guy where they're just – you can tell that they're they're not going to let him in, and I personally, we've kind of gone over this a little bit, but I personally agree with like Cano not getting into the Hall of Fame, but like Barry Bonds getting into the Hall of Fame because Barry Bonds was doing that well. There were no regulations against steroid use, but Cano he was, you know, actually breaking the rules. There were regulations against PEDs when he was using it. Obviously that's why he's suspended. So, you know, he probably, you know, if you, if you get caught twice, he might've been using his entire career. So that it gets, so that's him breaking the rules his entire career. So it all gets put, put into question. So Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's kind of weird how, uh, how it worked out for him. Yeah. I mean, my my standard with PEDs is always like if you if you are a known user, like there's a higher standard that your career has to be held at now, and you got to be above that threshold, whatever that threshold may be for me. And um, I don't know if Cano does it for me. Like I think he was kind of borderline uh, without it because of the drop off that he had. I guess after he left the Yankees, but um, yeah. Now I mean, two positive tests, like it's out of here. Yeah, exactly, and um. You know, if he did, if he didn't get popped again, um, there might have been a path for uh, three thousand hits for him. He has twenty six hundred right now, two thousand six hundred twenty four. Um, that could have been a thing. He's a he's a lifetime three hundred three hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was very I was very happy when he left the Yankees because he would. Uh, it always seemed like he was crushing the Red Sox, and uh, yeah, he you know, one of the smoothest swings out there, one of the smoothest players out there, but like it, it stinks that uh, it's all into question, especially now. The, uh, the manager for the 1871 uh, Rockford Forest Cities was uh, Scott Hastings, the catcher who was 23 years old. <laughs> they had a 32 year old on the team. They were like, no, we don't trust you, Al, Al Barker. That's uh. Yeah, that's pretty crazy because, like, anyone uh, – no one played baseball before them, so it makes sense that there's a 23-year-old manager. It's funny because uh, there's 11 players listed on the roster, so at the top when it lists, like, the top 12, you know, wins above replacement leaders, there's just a blank slot, uh, slot in the in the 12 hole. <laughs> there's just 11 people. That's, uh, that's very interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess that uh, – that's that's the conclusion to. <gasps> I found the first player in MLB history. Oh, this is this is big. This is this huge. Is His name is Al Pratt. He played in eight, he played for only two seasons in L. Oh, this this guy stinks. He played it uh for two years in 1871 and 1872. Uh, 
for the Cleveland Forest Cities. They they had two franchises named the Forest Cities. Are you joking? At least two. Wow. Um, the first year that he played, he he was a pitcher. He threw 224 innings, uh, and he had a 3.77 ERA with a 4.43 FIP. Was 10 and 17. Led the league in losses. Gave up a league high nine home runs. Yeah. But he also had a he also had a league leading thirty four strikeouts and a league leading one point four strikeouts per nine. Yeah, the one point four forty eight wild pitches. The one point four strikeouts per nine leading the league is crazy. Like, <laughs> I feel like back then they couldn't throw it overhand yet. I, I think that was a he thing. died right after his ninetieth birthday. Oh. He lived a full life. That's kind of rare for a guy born in the mid 1850s. He was born and died in Pittsburgh, which is interesting. Uh, and he then played in, in Cleveland. Uh, yeah, and then in 1872, he pitched 105 innings in uh, in 15 games, 12 starts, and he had eight complete games. Went two and nine with a 5.79 ERA, but a 4.07 FIP. He just got really unlucky. Yeah, exactly. He had some tough luck in 1872. Yeah, it, yeah, he got very unlucky. Like, you know, let's we. I, unfortunately, the Statcast era was not was not yeah. around in 1872. You know, we can't see. We what can't was look happening. at the ERA. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of bloop shots that. A lot of Texas that, leaguers. A lot of Texas leaguers that fell through. I mean, his home runs per nine was 0.3 in 105 innings pitched. That's pretty good. Yeah. Or I don't know. I don't know if it is. Zero point three home runs per nine in eighteen seventy two. I feel like that's that's kind of par for the course. Give up three home runs in hundred five innings pitched. Yeah, but I guess I guess he got gonna take a look at the eighteen seventy two team. Um, did he get? Because he pitched about half as much as he did the year before. So I guess they took him out as the primary guy but yeah the guy the guy that uh the other guy that pitched the most innings behind him had a 609 era so the four cities just but a 412 fip so the cleveland four cities not the rockland four cities yeah the cleveland four cities like they were getting very unlucky the the era to fip difference was insane yeah that's right so I guess that wraps uh, well, up. Well, that's the... one of the first uh, players in MLB history. They have multiple multiple people with first in MLB history uh, listed. Oh, that's but, pretty uh, interesting. That, that was just the first one I saw. But anyway, we just looked at Al Pratt. Yeah, shout out to Al Pratt. Yeah. Um, historical figure, yeah, but... of course. So I guess that wraps up episode seventy three of the show to be named later. Uh. We hope you enjoyed uh, this, you know, sort of midweek check-in, seeing what's going on in, in Major League Baseball, looking at a bubble case, digging on the first player in Major League Baseball history and the 1871 Cleveland Forest Cities. By the way, what... uh, I don't mean to shameless self-plug here, but um, I've been writing recently for uh, thefansmagazine.com. And uh, I put up a really good article this past week about uh, Mike Trout's hidden weakness, which we've gone over on this show. So if you're an OG on this show, you'll know 
what I'm talking about. But if you want to read about it and see some of the instances where Mike Trout ran into this foe of his, uh, it is on thefansmagazine.com. Yeah, please go check that out. That that was mentioned in our first um, Zoom episode. It was. The first yeah. show available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And also that's, yeah, that's the first thing we mentioned. So yeah, we 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 found out about it. It was a bored quarantine thing, and uh, it's a it's a very Daniel's deep dives on a uh, on thefansmagazine.com. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, very very good stuff for for goofy My baseball deep stuff. May have to be the first player in MLB history. Yeah, possibly the many first players. Yeah, it's a very interesting case. Uh, we'll have to see, but we hope you enjoyed our little midweek check in. Um, talking all things, all things MLB, all the way back to 1871. Um, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, want to watch us talk, uh, go to go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. It is called STB Now with Christiana and Daniel Curran. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And if you want to follow the show, Instagram, follow it at STBNL Podcast. And we hope you enjoyed uh, this midweek check-in on MLB News. And we hope to be seeing you on Thursday, where we're going to be talking about uh, Rogers Hornsby. And on Friday, where we're going to be talking about the 1991 Minnesota Twins. See you then.